We are now recording, and this is a special bonus episode about Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Hey, hello, bonus! And we are joined once again by guest from Forbes, Scott Mendelson. Greetings! I have Scott? returned! What we wanted to do here is talk about some movies that have, we've been seeing lately, because there's been a lot of new releases, and Abe and I, we've been covering, you know, what we've wanted to for main releases, but we figured we can kind of get into some of these uh, in a kind of extended quickies mode here. Uh, so I would have said TM, but you know we don't have it for the extended quickies. We have for out now quickies. Exactly TM. makes sense. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna just kind of run through a, a bunch of movies that we've been seeing because there's just a lot out there. So I'm just gonna I have a list. I don't know if you have a list, Scott, but I'm just gonna I'll mention something and you can mention something. Maybe if you have something, you can mention. So we just kind of round. And round I'm here to listen. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna mention one that we both that I know Scott and I have both seen so far. It's Train to Busan presents Peninsula. Um, yes, I'm a fan. I like this movie. I'm a huge fan of Train to Busan. I think this is a bit of a, a, a kind of a. It's not quite as good as that film, but I think it delivers on being this kind of action spectacle set in a zombie apocalypse world, and that's that's fun. That's good enough for me. Oh uh, yeah, I had a very good time with this one. Pretty yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's it's set what four four years after the first one, I think. Um, yes, or four years. It's, it's it's definitely a case where. It's, you know, it's a, a franchise brand that's playing in a different sandbox. You know, if the first film was a somewhat conventional, oh, crap, zombie apocalypse is coming, this is more of a, you know, Mad Max, Waterworld, uh, that kind of, you know, hunt and find picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, without going into details, it the third act is really good. Um, the rest of the movie is fine. The movie yeah. absolutely works. But the third act is fantastic. Um, there is a, a there's a there's a vehicular chase that I think someone mentioned as the best car chase in a zombie movie. I can't remember who. Yeah, I, I think it was noted variety sellout Aaron Newark. <laughs> sellout. <laughs> Aaron, you sold out, man. This used to be a, this used to be about the movies, bro. <laughs> You used to believe in something. Yeah. Now what do you believe in, huh? <laughs> um, oh. I have a question for you guys. Is this one is this one much more action heavy? And everyone everyone's aware of zombies now, but is it just like I an mean, action thriller? It's more action heavy as far as the focus of the film is being an action movie, where the first film yes. was concerned of being a thriller. I'll put it that way. Because the first film is it's pretty action packed. Also, it's just the it is the yeah. parameters are set around. We're all stuck in this train and there's I, I guess I guess more of like an offensive action. I mean, like we're gonna be on the offensive now. We're to gonna a, go to a degree. Zombies. To a degree, because there are characters that are willingly going to a territory that is invaded by zombies. Got it. None of them is named Glenn. No, unfortunately, there's no one named Glenn. Well, yeah. Okay, so we both liked it. What's next, Scott? What do you got? Uh, I saw the 800 uh, late last week. And this is the part where I pretend that I'm not Googling so I can spell it correctly. <laughs> that beginning of the podcast. I it's okay, Scott. I'm, I'm Googling it for you, too. There you go. That's not going to help me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it was supposed to come. It's, an, it's a Chinese picture. It's the first Chinese movie that's shot entirely on IMAX cameras. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I was, I was fortunate enough to see it in IMAX. 
It, based, it takes place in 1937 during one of the Japanese-Chinese, I think they're called the Sino War, the conflict. Um, it's, it's based on a true story, and it's basically about 400 down-and-out, beaten on their last legs Chinese soldiers that end up having to defend a warehouse from invading Japanese forces. Hmm. And what's interesting about the picture, yes, it's it looks great. You know, it's very expansive. You know, ex- there are lots of you know dramatic war action, et cetera, et cetera. What's fascinating about it is that, and this is history that I didn't know, but for at that time, apparently because Japan had sort of promised not to bomb civilians. You have this situation where the soldiers are in the warehouse, you know, all terrified and et cetera, et cetera. And literally across the water, like a stone throw away, you have a buzzing metropolis civilian boardwalk that, you know, looks like, you know, the Vegas Strip or, you know, Pixar Pavilion at California Adventure. And so the dichotomy is just fascinating, uh, you know, metaphorically or otherwise. And you know, again, without being terribly well versed in that particular you know area of history, it was something I've never seen before, where you have these civilians who are you know watching the war happening literally right next door to them, basically, and you know their feelings about it. You know, obviously there are acts of heroism, there are acts of sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's a patriotic picture, although you know it's not you know. It's not as nationalistic as I was expecting. The film is certainly very aware of the whole, you know, old men talk while young men die philosophy of war. Um, it's very aware of the symbolic nature of the, the, the you know, remember the Alamo type siege, you know, 300, remember the Alamo, Custer's last stand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it opened ridiculously well in China this weekend. It did around $116 million. Now that's counting about $30 million worth of Monday through Thursday previews. So, but even the $83 million Friday to Sunday number, it's the biggest opening weekend of the year anywhere. What's interesting about the film's reception, it was supposed to come out last year, last summer, and it was delayed at the last minute, allegedly for political considerations. Um, allegedly, there was an issue because the, you know, the, 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 government that existed in China at that time was different than the current, you know, the current communist regime. And it was the 70th anniversary of their, you know, rise to power. And it was just someone somewhere thought it was politically inconvenient and the movie got pulled at the last minute. But at that time, it was tracking to make anywhere from 350 to $400 million in China alone. And if it holds up after this weekend, and from what I'm gathering, it is the word of mouth is good, and it's a pretty solid picture. It could do three fifty, three, you know, three, three fifty, three seventy five in China. And if that happens, frankly, what it will prove is that there is a theatrical hunger for movies that were already heavily anticipated before the coronavirus situation occurred. I would say that, you know, at the risk of apples to oranges here, that's good news for a big film like Tenet that was already that would have been a pretty big, big, big hit had it open as scheduled in July under normal circumstances. All right. You, we could you can hear more about this in our previous episode where we go over the box office talk. 
Um, and I'll give you this one, Scott, but you got to speed these up. <laughs> I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I hear you. Uh, Abe, do you have something you want to bring up? I've been watching the Ocean series on Netflix 2 and 3, and then Ocean's 1 is, I think it was on Amazon Prime, so I've been watching the Ocean series, and it's been great. Who says 1, 2, and 3 for the Oceans? They got specific numbers. <laughs> Oceans 11, 12, 13. <laughs> like they make I must prequels? I've, I've, come to, I've come to appreciate the humor and, honestly, the the heist in, in number in number two in oceans 12 much more now that i'm older oh 12 is the bomb i like i i like yes 11 the best it's great but i really like 12 a lot like i think it has so yeah. much going for it and the soundtrack in all of these movies wonderful oh, oh they're God. fantastic dave yeah. holmes killing it david holmes i should say um there is a dave holmes um let's see all right i watched with my lovely girlfriend the one and only ivan on disney plus the uh, based off a true story guerrilla film starring Sam Rockwell as Ivan, along with a host of various celebrity voices and Brian Cranston as a zookeeper or a circus keeper, whatever you want to call it, a circus trainer guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott, did you see the one and only Ivan? I did. I enjoyed it. Um, my middle child has actually apparently my older one, too. She just didn't care to watch the movie, but has read the book. Uh, and he said it was pretty similar. There are some differences, namely. Uh, Brian Cranston's character is a bit more malevolent, malevolent, malevolent in the book. Um, he's less villainous in this film, mm-hmm. but frankly, I think that that helps. It makes the film more morally interesting than if he's just a black-headed baddie. I suppose. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. I I, I would say uh, I, I like the movie also. I will say um, I, yeah. I think it does its job. It's nothing particularly special, and I don't blame it for going to Disney Plus because despite looking fairly expensive as far as having CG animals and making that, you know, look as good as it does in the other CG animal Disney based movies. I don't see an audience really flocking to this in this, in, you know, droves in the, to kind of justify that budget. Um, but that's, you know, that's where I stand. I, I, I think the movie's fine for what it's doing. Yeah. And it, it's, to me, it's the kind of film that ideally is what Disney plus was invented for. You know, the kind of right. decently budgeted, could have been in theaters in another generation, high quality family film that, you know, maybe five to ten years ago might have had a shot in hell, but yeah. now doesn't. Like Lady and the Tramp. Yes. Or, and, you know, I like Magic Camp. I, I was surprised how much I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I can understand why they buried it. Jeffrey Tambor has a large supporting role. And frankly, he's to a certain extent the film's moral backbone, which is inconvenient. Um... <laughs> But, you know, in a vacuum, I thought it was a very fun, very, frankly, very smart uh, riff on School of Rock. So, yeah, I, I frankly, other than Artemis Fowl, I, I genuinely liked the original films that Disney Plus has been debuting for all of 2020, frankly. Uh, Howard was a very good documentary about Howard Ashman. Uh, to be Failure, I thought was a delightful little, you know, young adult, you know, storybook romp we weren't big on star girl star girl is... no, star girl didn't do much for me <laughs> um and uh i mean the, the i think the embargo will have dropped by the time this episode does but Phineas and ferb the movie is a Phineas and ferb movie and uh, if you like the show you'll like the movie nice I, i've never seen a frame but i'm sure it will satisfy those people it's fun it's a fun show you might enjoy it i'm not saying i wouldn't it's just, yeah. when do you have the time? Uh, this is true. You Abe, don't sleep, that's how you do it. Abe, anything else? 
Uh, I purchased Little Women because it was on sale, and I rewatched that. And then I went into a Greta Gerwig and uh, Saoirse Ronan romp, and I also watched Lady Bird. All right. Uh, let's see. I'll throw in one here. A documentary. Actually, I'll throw in this documentary because it's newer and more people have seen it. Boy State. Boy State. It's on uh, Apple oh, TV+. Yeah. Plus. It's very good. Um, it's It concerns this kind of summer program where boys specifically, there's also a girl state, but this is focused on the boys, um, form their own government um, and go into a process of electing themselves to various positions of power. Uh, it's a sometimes frightening, sometimes a little bit hopeful, interesting look at the kind of inset politics that these youths have at a youths have at a young age. I, I think the film finds that the documentary, the documentarians that directed this, um, they find a they find a good way to frame the story by focusing on four boys in specific. Um, and seeing the kind of journey they go on and how the narrative wraps around what they're doing and what they stand for and what it is to be a politician, I find I found to be thrilling at times, honestly, as far as where it was going with that. It's also as well as insightful and um, things that are upsetting about it as well. Um, I very much recommend it. Uh, Boy State, very good. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, my wife and I have been playing around with Shudder lately, the streaming Ooh. service that's horror-centric, and we've been very happy with it. Um, and one of the more recent ones that we've spotted is a film, I think it came out last year, called Summer of 84. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's basically a period piece, set in 84, about a young kid who starts to think that his neighbor might be a serial killer. I'm not going to go into details, but A, it was very satisfying. I liked it. And B, the third act is very interesting. Yes, um, I agree. <laughs> and I almost don't want to say any more other than to say it it really plays around with the tropes of what you'd expect from that kind of movie. I, I in a way that I was very impressed by. I, I agree because I honestly wasn't into the movie that much until it gets to where yeah. it's going and I was like, Oh, this became more interesting now. Like that was my actual reaction to this. So Yeah. Yeah. Um so yes, if you have Shudder or if you feel like paying four bucks to rent it. It's worth the time. Nice. Uh, another movie that I saw in the line of documentaries, I watched um, Three Identical Strangers. I was telling, I was talking to Aaron about this at a certain point, but it's okay. Like, I, I don't think that I was super blown away by it. Um, it is interesting, but I think that they actually misstep and they actually gloss over the most, the most interesting things about it. Um, and then they never really resolve anything that was uh, that I think it didn't linger in my mind about what they were trying to resolve. So um, it's fine. Uh, a movie that came out this week, this past week, was Cutthroat City, the latest film from RZA. Um, I like this film. I, I think it does what it's trying to do rather well. It's it stars uh, Shamik Moore, also known as uh, Miles Morales, and Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, be like you know, dope. And the and the film dope. Yeah, he it's set in like literal post-Katrina times, like right after things have started happening where people are getting like FEMA payments and stuff to support themselves. And it concerns his character who is in a situation where he has no more money from FEMA so he can't support uh, the home he's living in. Uh, he and his four friends decide to take a job from a local gangster, uh, played by T.I., and pull off this heist. Things go messily and bad things happen from there. What the film does pretty effectively is, it one, it tells this gangster story appropriate enough and it has a really strong cast like i haven't mentioned many people but there's addition to more you have t you have ti wesley snipes 
uh, 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 Terrence Howard, Ethan Hawke as like a boozy cop or like a boozy oh, wow. ca- a boozy councilman, uh, Isaac Gonzalez. Uh, there's there's like a lot, there's a lot of people in here, and they're all you know utilized fairly well. And RZA, who he you know he's made a couple movies. He made The Man of the Iron Fists, and he made another movie that was on Netflix, like a music movie. This is his third movie. He's doing like here he's doing something. Like it's a it's a mix of being an action movie, like an action heist movie, as well as being a social commentary uh, concerning the role of you know what's going on in kind of urban society, specifically in the Katrina area, and. There, he, the way he's tying in some of these themes, I think, is quite effective. The movie's the movie's way too long. It's like a, it's like 130 something minutes, and it's got a lot on its mind. It's very it's trying to be very ambitious, and it's not quite clever enough to pull it all off. But I do think there's promise there. Like it's a solid it's a solid average film to check out if you can find it. So Cutthroat City. Scott, how about you? What's next? Oh, geez. Uh, what else have I been watching? I mean, it's we've been <clears throat> Wendy and I have been bouncing back and forth between uh, the TV show and Netflix's Teenage Bounty Hunters that premiered last week. Uh, it's fun. It's it's about two high Teenage school girls. That, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, I was talking to Wendy about this. We're, we're not quite this with the season, but the bounty hunting certainly seems to be the B plot that it almost feels like they added in to get the show sold in the first place. Because it's much more concerned with... <laughs> it was it was initially called Teenage. And they're like, what if... <laughs> and, <laughs> and the show is much more interested about in the you know, personal melodrama of its protagonists and how they navigate basically being sexually comfortable in a in a somewhat religious setting. You know, they both they both go to a private religious school. They're very involved in the church, yada, yada, yada. And it's, it's very it's much more about that versus and, you know, Oh wow, they have to go catch this drug dealer, you know, action action. There's actually very little of that. Mm. Um but it's it's well written, it's very funny, the characters are quirky. I mean it's not the great next great Netflix classic, but I enjoy it quite a bit. I, I actually like that phrase, yeah. I'm, we might have to use that for a later episode too. The next great Netflix classic. Well, I mean, you know, everything gets advertised as your next Netflix obsession. We'll we'll credit um, you in the future. <laughs> it's Scream Queens. Which I watched a couple episodes when it first aired, kind of fell out of it, and Wendy's enjoying it, so I figured, well, this is two seasons, I can make it through. I like everybody in it, and it's fine. I'm remembering why I gave up pretty early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what the hell? It's yeah. it's not boring. It has a Ryan Murphy sense of what yeah. if we just really talked loud a lot and referenced things, but also there's drama. Uh, yes. I watched the first season, then I gave up on the second season. Like, oh, it's just more of this, and which is yeah. which is most Ryan Murphy. It's like every every American horror story season. It's like, oh, it starts strong, and then there is a whole middle, and then it ends. Um, yeah. so, uh, the less yeah, involved, going? the less involved. No, it isn't. It got canceled mm-hmm. a while okay. back at this point. The 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 less involved he seems to be in the writing, the better his shows tend to be. That's how yeah. I come across Ryan Murphy shows, like the OJ show. Which is fantastic, and he had, did only the the Ed Wood guys wrote that show, and he just directed like some of the episodes, um, or Feud, and I guess Ratchet. Um, we'll see how that goes. Because <laughs> if you want to nice. see one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and you're like, what if the nurse had a story? I mean, that's that's what we're getting. <laughs> it only makes sense. Um, another movie that I, I watched recently was. Um, it's on Hulu. It's it's like two lasting lasting home. It's it's basically just 
another long episode of Psych, but I really enjoy those guys. So I think the first two-thirds of it is much more interesting than the last third. Not to say that it's not interesting, it's more of... Is that it, when Lassie comes home? Yep, yep, that's when Lassie comes home, yeah. But it's actually it actually plays into the character of... I'm going to get his name wrong, Timothy... Amundsen? Uh, yeah, Edmondson, who, who actually did have a stroke and yeah. was recovering from a stroke. And so they, they actually use that in the movie. And so it, it it's nice and neat, but the first two-thirds of the movie is the psych that you know, uh, where it's like fun uh, fun characters that you would like to be with. And then the last third is like where they try and solve the mystery, and the mystery just gets solved super quickly. And it's just like, let's all just have like this nice hug moment. And it's like, okay. But it's you fine. Want- it's not Hulu. Oh, I'm sorry. It's on, it's it's on, it's on Peacock. Peacock. I was going to say, yeah, you watch this on Peacock. Which is free, actually. So that's why I watched it. All right. Uh, I'll just run through like some real quickly. Uh, oh, Sput- I'm done. Okay. Uh, Sputnik. Uh, Russian horror movie involving a creepy monster thing. I enjoyed this. I like the monster design. Check it out. Uh, let's see. The 24th. This is a film from Kevin Wilmot, who's been writing movies with Spike Lee and won an Oscar with him for Black Klansman. Uh, it takes place in 19, 1918. It's about a black regiment of soldiers that were supposed to monitor a an encampment being built, and they encounter a lot of racial prejudice. What are the odds? Mm. Uh, it's based on a true story. I wish it was better. I really do. It it ends up just feeling like remember when this happened and how bad it was, and that's you know that that can be effective, but I don't think there's much to it beyond that, especially when there's so many ideas it seems to want to introduce but doesn't really tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little unfortunate. Uh, let's see. Waiting for the Barbarians with Mark. Gotta wear that hat. Rylance, uh, Johnny Depp, and Robert Pattinson. Um, this is based on a on a book. It's from the director of Embrace the Serpent, who I've heard is not a great guy because he said some things that are bad. But regardless, um, the the uh, the movie itself is fine. Uh, it's set like in a specific. It's purposely unnamed Asian country. Uh, Mark Rylance is uh, a guy living out in this encampment. Johnny Depp comes in as this evil magistrate type person, and he wants to invade lands and use and kind of beat up the quote unquote barbarians living in that area to get knowledge about the area. It's a very good looking movie that just doesn't really have too much to offer beyond. Remember how terrible English colonialism is? Well, here it is again. That's kind of the movie, and it doesn't have much. Still facing repercussions today, man. Uh huh. Um, is Mark Rylance wearing a hat? He is definitely wearing a hat in the movie, okay. uh, but he's trying to. But Johnny Depp's trying to upstage him because he has sunglasses. But the movie's set in like early 1900s, so it's like, what are those? And so it's like, oh, they really and they, and they look really they look really cool because they're cool sunglasses for a person. These spectacles that are not clear. Yeah. Um, Scott, talk about the tax collector. Oh, the, uh, David Ayer's tax collector. It was the. It actually was the top movie at the domestic box office and in the VOD channels uh, oh. about two weeks ago. Uh, it did around $5 million in VOD in the first week, which is actually really good for a mm-hmm. comparatively under the radar, radar, radar title. It is – it's an old school crime melodrama about a enforcer who works with a friend of his collecting protection payments basically and what happens to him and his family when an old rival to his boss – reemerges on the scene and makes him an offer that he chooses to refuse, but then turns out to be a bad idea. What are the odds? You know, yeah. You know, shit hits the fan. Pardon <laughs> my French. Um, and yeah, it, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It looks good. It's well acted. Um, it's restrained in terms of its violence. 
is more interested in tension and suspense up until maybe the end of the second act. Uh, and save for a couple bits and pieces of gruesome violence, it's pretty conventional R-rated carnage. You know, as someone that was not a fan of uh, David Ayer's last two pictures, Bright and Suicide Squad, this is an, you know, a step in the right direction. It's certainly him sort of going back to the kind of movie that he made his name on. And, you know, it's a $7 VOD title. I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you. I think it's it's aggressively fine, I guess <laughs> the best yeah. way to put it. Um, I think Shia LaBeouf, it's, it's an, given that, I know Bobby Soto, the main star of this film, he pretty much co-wrote this movie with David Ayer. Like David Ayer's talked about, has like, yeah. yeah, we've we've worked on this together, and he just didn't want like writing credit on it for whatever, if it's a legal whatever matter. But it's annoying that Shia LaBeouf is so good in this movie. <laughs> like he's very good in it. It's 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 ridiculous that he went all method for a movie where he's not in that much, which includes getting a full chest tattoo that you do not see in this movie for more than half a second. Um, but you know, whatever, it's your process, but he's quite good in what he's supposed to be doing here. The rest of the movie around the main character and the other characters, it's like, all right, there's questions one could have about the use of portraying uh, Latino gangs continually this way from David Ayer, who seems to have enough ability to do something, you know, different and maybe more positive, but it is what it is. It's a gritty grindhouse movie and he made it and it's fine. And you know, I I think that the I think at least some of his its success is coming from demographically interested individuals who yeah aren't hand wringing about the portrayals yeah um, mm-hmm. and you know I I, I I I didn't want to base my thoughts in terms of other people's thoughts but I was sort of taken aback at some of the chatter of you know first of all you know Shia LaBeouf is not playing a, a Hispanic man. <laughs> I mean, right. at, no, at no point does it ever imply that he's anything other than a white guy that grew up in that community. The film isn't any more violent than a conventional crime picture. And, you know, if, if anything, it reminded me of the straight-to-video pictures that I used to see a lot of back in the day that often were, you know, gritty crime dramas dealing with underrepresented demographics, the kind of films that kind of became a lot less... Uh, on the regular when the DVD boom ended and concurrently when Hollywood started focusing on four quadrant tent poles at the expense of everything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a movie. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Two more biopics to mention here. Radioactive, which is about Mary Carey. It stars Rosamund Pike. Uh, uh-huh. I think it's, it's pretty good. It doesn't lean too hard on the Wikipedia-ness of biopics, which I enjoyed. The next one, the next one definitely doesn't, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But Radioactive, I think it does a good job of telling the story of what she was, what she accomplished, blended with the kind of romantic entanglement she had with her husband, who, spoiler alert, is not around for too much of the film after a while. Um, <laughs> it gets into that area. But what I think is most neat is the direction of it. It's from the director of Persepolis, um, and the film itself is based on a graphic novel. And I kind of started thinking that what it got really stylish in its direction. There's some visual imagery I think is very effective, including flash forwards, and to recall Mary Curie, uh, discovered things that would lead to the atomic bomb, especially. She discovered uh, uh, radium. Um, And you get these flash forwards that show, show like Nagasaki and Hiroshima and Chernobyl and just incidents that are going to happen based off the work that she did. 
um, mm-hmm. which I think is quite clever and very visually arresting to watch when you get to those scenes. Um, so it's on Amazon Prime. It's I think it's under two hours. Like it's not it's not a hard investment. I think the movie does pretty good, and Rosamund Pike is quite good in it. She's a good actress. She tends to do pretty good in movies. Um, she was robbed. Well, yeah. What's Gone the girl. What's the Gone Girl year? Was that 20, 2014? 20, 2014? Yeah. What's that? What is that? Who's there? Uh, it's not the candor. Um, it's right around there. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's not Streep. But she's probably nominated for something. See. <laughs> What's 2014? 2014. Best oh my gosh, I know. We're, we're... Julianne Moore, still Alice. Still Alice. Oh, uh, it, it was, was not even no good. You, it was the You've Been Here a Long Time Award. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the other biopic I saw is Tesla, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, this movie is a trip because it tells you the story of Nikola Tesla in the most unique way possible where there's a lot of fourth wall breaking and anachronisms in terms of you have a, you have a, a secondary character, a third year, whatever you have another character played by Eve Hewison, who is, she's involved in scenes with him and Thomas Edison, as well as George Westinghouse, who's played by uh, Jim Gaffigan. Um, <laughs> and you have her narrating things that are taking place. And sometimes it's the scenes like, well, it actually didn't happen this way, but we just wanted to do this. Or sometimes it's, looking directly into camera or narrating to the audience and saying, if you Google images of Tesla, you can't even find them. There's only like three images of him that exist. And there's just like stuff like that. That's calling out what the film is trying to do. There are sequences that are trying to kind of get through exposition. And by doing that, they get rid of any sets and just have like drawn on backgrounds and have characters walk to them. It's like watching Dogville of all things. There's just a lot of like really interesting ideas of how to make this a kind of not a great, not so much a greatest hits is more of a, this is an emotional representation of what Nikola Tesla was, and here's just a really obscure way of presenting it. It even has a musical break towards the end from Ethan Hawke. That is wonderful. Interesting. Uh, so it is it is a trip to watch. I'm not it's surprised. It's the Rocket Man of Nikola Tesla movies, huh? Sure. It, it's even more stylish than Rocket Man. Like, Rocket Man had some style going for it, no question. But this movie, <laughs> because of its just looniness, it's really trying to go for something different. And I, I thought it's... it's I think it's quite good. Uh, I, yeah. I'm not going to say it's like best biopic I've seen, but I'm, I'm very much a fan of it. I like Nikola Tesla anyway, as far as his, the history involving him and his feud with uh, Edison, who's played yeah. by Kyle MacLachlan in this movie also. So, I mean, there's just a lot going for it. Kyle <laughs> Yeah, I'm not surprised that it has mixed reviews because it's a weird movie, uh, but, yeah. I'd, but I'd recommend it. So, Scott, you got any more? Honestly, I don't think so. And that's okay. Yeah, not a problem. I already, I already mentioned Magic Camp. Uh, Project Power, I think we've all talked about at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not watched The Sleepover yet. That was this week's big Netflix movie. Uh, nope, I'm out. All right. I'll just very quickly mention Spree with Joe Keery from Stranger Things. It's, <laughs> shot, it's shot all on screens, like iPhone screens and you know all, all that kind of stuff. It's about a guy that's live streaming, and he can't seem to figure out how to be go viral, so his solution is to murder people. And um, it's entertaining for what it's doing. It's just long enough, as in like 80-ish minutes, to justify like, hey, I watched this and it was entertaining and that's all I need. It doesn't quite go that deep with anything beyond look at the state of things and how people use social media for deadly reasons. Uh, but that's it's enough because I think Joe Curie actually is very good at it. Um, as well as uh, Sashir Zamata. She plays a stand-up comedian. And the film actually, for a screen movie like this, it actually cleverly finds a way to build other subplots that are also taking place on screens and they eventually the characters kind of 
bounce in and out of each other's lives and it, it does that that's some fun stuff that's some unique ideas but like other than that yeah it, it's it's totally like fine for what it's doing without being anything special so, so yeah that's spree that's also out on like vod um all right i think that's it i think we've covered uh, a handful of things here for a special little bonus episode hope everybody's enjoyed this uh scott where can people find more of you uh forbes.com the ticket booth uh my twitter feed is at scott mendelson i'm uh everywhere everything i do ends up with the code and i'm on twitter at aaron's ps4 abe you can find me on instagram and also twitter you know where i am all right uh yeah well, that's it hope you enjoyed this uh, special bonus until next time so long hey, goodbye.